Book Two, Chapter Four of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Hand. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Two: The Breaking of Dreams. Chapter Four which smells very vilely of the stable. April softened into May, and the hawthorns were in blossom before Richard passed any other very noteworthy milestone on the road of personal development. Then, greatly tempted, he committed a venial sin, received prompt and coarse chastisement, and by means of the said chastisement, as is the merciful way of the eternal justice, found unhoped-of emancipation it happened thus as the spring days grew warm mademoiselle de mirincourt failed somewhat the darkness and penetrating chill of the english winter tried her and this year her recuperative powers seemed sadly deficient a fuller tide of life had pulsed through brockhurst since colonel ormiston's arrival the old stillness was departing the old order changing with that change mademoiselle de mirincourt had no quarrel since to her serene faith all that came must of necessity come through a divine ordering and in conformity to a divine plan yet this more of activity and of movement strained her the weekly drive over to west church to hear mass at the humble catholic chapel tucked away in a side street sorely taxed her strength she returned fortified her soul ravished by that heavenly love which in pure and innocent natures bears such gracious kinship to earthly love yet in body she was outworn and weary on such occasions she would rally julius march not without a touch of malice saying ah très cher ami had you only followed the ever-blessed footsteps of those dear oxford friends of yours and entered the fold of the true church what fatigue might you not now spare me let alone the incalculable advantages to your own poor charming fatally darkened soul while julius who though no less devout than of yore was happily less fastidiously sensitive would reply but dearest lady had i followed the footsteps of my oxford friends remember i should not be at brockhurst at all clearly then everything is well ordered she would say folding her fragile hands upon her embroidery frame since it is altogether impossible we could do without you yet i regret for your soul it is so capable of receiving illumination you english even the most finished among you remain really deplorably stubborn and nevertheless it is my fate perpetually to set my affections upon one or other of you it followed that catherine devoted much of her time to mademoiselle de mirincourt walked slowly beside her up and down the sunny garden paths sheltered by the high red walls whereon the clematis and jasmine began to show for flower or took her for quiet little drives within the precincts of the park they spoke much of lucia st quentin of catherine's girlhood and of those pleasant days in paris long ago and this brought soothing and comfort not only to the old lady but to the young lady also and of soothing and comfort the latter stood in need just now for it is harsh discipline even to a noble woman whose life is still strong in her 
to stand by and see another woman but a few years her junior entering on those joys which she has lost marriage probably motherhood as well roger ormiston's and mary cathcart's love-making was restrained and dignified but the very calm of their attitude implied a security of happiness passing all need of advertisement and catherine was very far from grudging them this she was not envious still less jealous she did not want to take anything of theirs but she wanted she sorely wanted her own again a word a look a certain quickness of quiet laughter would pierce her with recollection once for her too below the commonplaces of daily detail flowed that same magic river of delight but the springs of it had gone dry therefore it was a relief to be alone with mademoiselle de mirincourt virgin and saint and to speak with her of the days before she had sounded the lovely depths of that same magic flood days when she had known of its existence only by the mirage born of the dazzle of its waters which plays over the innocent vacant spaces of a young girl's mind it was a relief then though of sterner quality to go into the red drawing-room on the ground floor and pace there her hands clasped behind her her proud head bowed by the half hour together if personal joy is dead past resurrection there is bitter satisfaction in realizing to the full personal pain the room was duly swept dusted casements set open to welcome breeze and sunshine fires lighted in the grate but no one ever sat there it knew no cheerfulness of social intercourse the crimson curtains and covers had become faded they were not renewed the furniture save for the absence of the narrow bed stood in precisely the same order as on the night when sir richard calmady died it was pushed back against the walls and in the wide empty way between the two doors catherine paced saturating all her being with thoughts of that which was and must remain wholly and inalienably her own namely her immense distress and in this she took the more comfort because something else now appearing wholly her own was slipping a little away from her dicky's health had improved notably in the last few weeks his listlessness had vanished while his cheeks showed a wholesome warmth of color but his cry was ever mother uncle roger's going to such a place he says he'll take me i can go can't i or mother mary's going to do such a thing she says she'll show me how she may mayn't she and catherine's answer was always yes she grudged the boy none of his new-found pleasures rejoiced indeed to see him interested and gay yet to watch the new broom which sweeps so clean is rarely exhilarating to those that have swept diligently with the old one the nest had held her precious fledgling so safely till now and this fluttering of wings eager for flight troubled her somewhat not only was dicky's readiness to be away from her a trifle hard to bear but she knew that disappointment of a certainty lay in wait for him and that each effort towards wider action would but reveal to him how circumscribed his powers actually were meanwhile however richard enjoyed himself recklessly almost feverishly in the attempt to disprove the teaching of that ugly dream and keep truth at bay there had been further drives and the excitement of witnessing a forest fire only too frequent in the brockhurst country when the sap is up and the easterly wind and may sun have scorched all moisture from the surface of the moorland he and mary had bumped over fir roots and scuttled down bridle paths in the pony carriage 
to avoid the rush of flame and smoke had skirmished round at a hand gallop in search of recruits to reinforce ormiston and isles and a small army of beaters battling against the blazing line that threatened destruction to the fir avenue now and again with a mighty roar which sent dicky's heart into his mouth great tongues of flame clear as topaz and ruby in the steady sunshine would leap upwards converting a whole tall fir into a tree of fire while the beaters running back grimed with smoke and sweat took a moment's breathing space in the open there had been more peaceful pastimes as well several days fishing enchanting beyond the power of language to describe the clear trout stream meandering through the rich water meadows the herds of cattle standing knee-deep in the grass lazily chewing the cud and switching their tails at the cloud of flies the birds and wild creatures haunting the streamside the long dreamy hours of gentle sport had opened up to dicky a whole new world of romance his donkey chair had been left at the yellow-washed mill beneath the grove of silvery-leaved ever-rustling balsam poplars and thence while ormiston and mary sauntered slowly on ahead the men winter in mufti oblivious of plate-cleaning and cellarage and the onerous duties of his high estate stamp the water bailiff and moorcock one of the underkeepers had carried him across the great green levels winter was an old and tried friend and it was somewhat diverting to behold him in this novel aspect affable and chatty with inferiors displaying moreover unexpected knowledge in the mysteries of the angler's craft the other two men sharp-featured their faces ruddy as summer apples merry-eyed clad in velveteen coats that bulged about the pockets and wrinkled leathered gaiters reaching halfway up the thigh charmed richard when his first shyness was past they were eager to please him their talk was racy their laughter ready and sincere did not stamp point out to him a water oozel with impudently jerking tail dipping and wading in the shallows of the stream did not moorcock find him a water rail's nest hidden in a tuft of reed and grass with ten yellowish speckled eggs in it and did not both men pluck him handfuls of cowslips of tawny pink avens and of mottled snake-headed fritillaries and stow them away in the fishing baskets above the load of silver and red spotted trout mary had protested dicky could throw a fly if he had a light enough rod and not only did he throw a fly but at the fourth or fifth cast a fish rose and he played it with skirling reel and much advice and most complimentary excitement on the part of the whole good company and brought it skilfully within range of stamps landing net never surely was trout spawned that begot such bliss in the heart of an angler as with panting sides and open gills this three-quarter pound treasure of treasures flopped about on the sunny stream bank all the hereditary instinct of sport spoke up clearly in dicky the boy such is youthful masculine human nature believed he understood at last why the world was made at dressing time he had a sacred fish carried on a plate up to his room to show clara and but for strong remonstrance on the part of that devoted handmaiden would have kept it by his bedside all night so as to assure himself at intervals by sense of touch let alone that of smell of the adorable fact of its veritable existence but all this inspiring though it was served but as a prelude to a more profound coveted acquaintance that with the racing stable for it was after this last that dicky still supremely longed the more so it is to be feared because it was if not explicitly 
yet implicitly forbidden. A spirit of defiance had entered into him. Being granted the inch, he was supposed to take the L. And this, not in conscious opposition to his mother's will, but in protest, not uncourageous, against the limitations imposed on him by physical misfortune. The boy's blood was up, and consequently, with greater pluck than discretion, he struggled against the intimate, inalienable enemy that so marred his fate. And it was this not ignoble effort which culminated in disobedience. For driving back one afternoon, later than usual, Ormiston had met them, and Mary and he had taken a by-path home through the woods. The pony carriage turned along the high, level road beside the lake, going eastward, just as the string of racehorses coming home from exercise passed along it coming west. Richard was driving, Chaplin, the second coachman, sitting in the dicky at the back of the low carriage. He checked the pony, and his eyes took in the whole scene, the blue-brown expanse of the lake dotted with waterfowl on the one hand, the immense blue-brown landscape on the other, ranging away to the faint line of the chalk downs in the south, the downward slope of the park to the great square of red stable buildings in the hollow, the horses coming slowly towards him in single file. Cawing rooks streamed back from the fallow fields across the valley. Thrushes and blackbirds caroled. A wren in the bramble brake close by broke into sharp, sweet song. The recurrent ring of an axe came from somewhere away in the fir plantations, and the strident rasping of a saw from the woodyard in the beech grove near the house. Richard stared at that oncoming procession. Halfway between him and the foremost of the horses, the tan ride branched off and wound down the hillside to the stables. The boy set his teeth. He arrived at a desperate decision, touched up the pony, drove on. Chaplin leaned forward, dressing him over the back of the seat. Better wait here, hadn't we, Sir Richard? They'll turn off in a minute. Richard did not look round. He tried to answer coldly, but his voice shook. I know. That's why I'm going on. There was a silence, save for the cawing of the rooks, ring of the axe, and grinding of the wheels on gravel. Chaplin, responsible, correct, over five and thirty, and fully intending to succeed old Mr. Wenham, the head coachman, on the latter's impending retirement from active service, went very red in the face. "'Excuse me, but I have my orders, Sir Richard,' he said. Dickie still looked straight ahead. "'Very well,' he answered. "'Then perhaps you better get out and walk on home.' "'You know I'm bound not to leave you, sir,' the man said. Dickie laughed a little in uncontrollable excitement. He was close to them now. The leading horse was just moving off the main road, its shadow lying long across the turf. How is it possible to give way with the prize within reach? "'You can stay or go, Chaplet, as you please. I mean to speak to Chiffney. I, I mean to see the stables.' "'It's as much as my place is worth, sir.' "'Oh, bother your place!' the boy cried impetuously. "'Dear heart alive, how fine they were as they filed by! "'That chestnut filly, clean-made as a deer, "'her ears laid back as she reached at the bit, "'and the brown just behind her. "'I mean, I mean, you needn't be afraid, chaplain. "'I'll speak to her ladyship. "'I'll arrange all that. "'Go to the pony's head.' "'At the end of the long string of horses came the trainer, "'a square-built, short-necked man, sanguine, complexioned, and clean-shaven. Of hair, indeed, Mr. Chiffney could only boast a rim of carroty gray stubble under the rim of the back of his hard hat. His right eye had suffered damage, and the pupil of it was white and viscous. 
his lips were straight and purplish in color he raised his hat and would have followed on down the slope but dicky called to him as he rode up an unwanted expression came over mr chiffney's shrewd hard-favored face he took off his hat and sat there bareheaded in the sunshine looking down at the boy his hand on his hip good day sir richard he said anything i can do for you yes yes dicky stammered all his soul in his eyes his cheeks aflame you can do just what i want most take me down chiffney and show me the horses here chaplin coughed discreetly behind his hand but that proved of small avail save possibly in the way of provocation for socially between the racing and house stables was a great gulf fixed and mr chiffney could hardly be expected to recognize the existence of a man in livery standing at a pony's head still less to accept direction from such a person servants must be kept in their place impudent lazy enough lot anyhow bless you on his feet the trainer had been known to decline to moments of weakness but in the saddle a good horse under him he possessed unlimited belief in his own judgment fearing neither man devil nor even his own meek-faced wife with pink ribbons in her cap moreover he felt such heart as he had go out strangely to the beautiful eager boy gazing up at him nothing had given me greater pleasure in life sir richard he said if you're free to come we waited a long time a precious long time sir for you to come down and take a look at your horses i'd have been to see them sooner i'd have given anything to see them i've never had the chance somehow chiffney pursed up his lips and surveyed the distant landscape with a very meaning glance i dare say not sir richard better late than never you know and so if you are free to come again chaplin coughed free to come of course i am free to come dicky asserted his pride touched to arrogance and mr chiffney looked at him an approving twinkle in his sound eye i agree sir richard quite right sir you're free of course stolen waters are sweet says the proverb and to richard calmady his not wholly legitimate experience of the next hour was sweet indeed for there remains rich harvest of poetry in all sport worth the name let squeamish and sentimental persons declaim against it as they may strength and endurance disregard of suffering have a permanent appeal and value even in their coarsest manifestations no doubt the noble gentlemen of the neighbourhood who lay at brockhurst two nights on the occasion of sir denzil's historic housewarming to witness the mighty bear-baiting were sensible of something more in that somewhat disgusting exhibition than the mere gratification of brutal instincts the mere savage relish for wounds and pain and blood and to sir denzil's latest descendant the first sight of the training stable as the pony carriage came to a standstill alongside the grass plot in the centre of the great gravelled square offered very definite and stirring poetry of a kind on three sides the quadrangle was shut in by one-storied brick buildings the woodwork of doors and windows immaculate with white paint behind over the wide archway closed fortress-like by heavy doors at night were the head lads and helpers quarters on either side forge and weighing room saddlers and doctor's shop to the right and left a range of stable doors with round swing lights between each and above these the windows of hay and straw lofts and of the boys dormitories in front were the dining rooms and kitchens and the trainer's house a square clock tower carrying an ornate gilt vane rising from the cluster of red roofs 
Twenty years had weathered the raw of brick walls and painted the tiling with all manner of orange and rusty-colored lichens. Yet the whole place was admirably spick and span, free of litter. Many cats, as Dickie noted, meditated in sunny corners or prowled in the open with truly official composure. Overall stretched a square of bluest sky, crossed by a skein of homeward-wending rooks. While above the roofs, on either side of the archway, the high-lying lands of the park showed up, broken here and there by clumps of trees. Mr. Chiffney slipped out of the saddle. "'Here, boy, take my horse,' he shouted to a little fellow, hurrying across the yard. "'I'm heartily glad to see you, Sir Richard,' he went on. "'Now, if you care, as your father's son can't very well be off caring for horses—' "'If I care!' echoed Dicky his eyes following the graceful chestnut filly as she was led in over the threshold of her stable. "'I like that. That'll do. Chip of the old block after all,' the trainer said with evident relish. "'Well, then, since you do care for horses as you ought to, Sir Richard, we'll just make you free of this establishment. About the most first-class private establishment in England, sir, though I say it that have run the concern pretty well single-handed for the best part of the last fifteen years. Make you free of it right away, sir.' And look you, when you've got hold, don't you leave hold. No, I won't, said Dicky stoutly. Mr. Chiffney was in a condition of singular emotion as he wrapped Richard's rug about him and bore him away into the stables. He even went so far as to swear a little under his breath, and Chiffney was a very fairly clean-mouthed man, unless members of his team of twenty and odd naughty boys got up to some devilry with their charges. He carried Richard as tenderly as could any woman, while he tramped from stall to stall, loose box to loose box, praising his racers, calling attention to their points, recounting past prowess, or prophesying future victories. And the record was a fine one, for good luck had clung to the masterless stable, as Lady Calmady's bank books and ledgers could testify. Vine Dresser by Red Burgundy out of Valeria won two races at the Newmarket Spring Meeting the year before last, lamed himself somehow in the horse box coming back, did nothing for eighteen months, hoped to enter him for some of the autumn events. Then later, Sahara by North African out of Sally in our alley. Beautiful mare. I believe you, Sir Richard. Why, she won the oaks for you. Jack White was up. Pretty a race as ever I witnessed, and cleverly ridden. Like to go up to her in the stall? She's as quiet as a lamb. Catch hold of her head, boy. And so Dick found himself seated on the edge of the manger, the trainer's arm around him, and the historic Sahara snuffing at his jacket pockets. Then they crossed the quadrangle to inspect the colts and fillies, where glories still lay ahead. Verdigree by Copper King, out of Valeria again, and if he doesn't make a name, I'll never judge another horse, sir. Strain of the old touchstone blood there. Rather ugly? Yes, they're often a bit ugly, that lot, but devilish good ends to go. You ask Miss Carthcart about them. Never met a lady who'd as much knowledge as she has of a horse. The baby, by punch, out a lady bountiful. Not much good, I'm afraid. No grip, you see, too contracted in the hooves. Chloroform by sawbones, out of sister to castanet. And so forth. An endless repetition of genealogies, comments, anecdotes, to which Dickie lent most attentive ear. He was keen to learn. His attention was on the stretch. He was in the process of initiation, and every moment of the sacred rites came to him with power and value. 
yet it must be owned that he found the lessening of the strain on his memory and attention not wholly unwelcome when mr chiffney sitting beside him on the big white-painted corn-bin opposite diplomacy's loose box began to tell him of the old times when he a little fellow of eight to ten years of age had been among the boys in his cousin sam chiffney's famous stable at newmarket the long weary travelling before the days of railways when the horses were walked by high road and country lane ankle-deep in mud from newmarket to epsom and after victory or defeat walked by slow stages all the way home again of how later he had migrated to doncaster but not liking the yorkshire tykes had got taken on in some well-known stables upon berkshire downs and it was there sir richard he said i met your father and we fancied each other from the first and he asked me to come to him these stables were just building then and here i've been ever since mr chiffney stared down at the clean red quarries of the stable floor and tapped his neat gaiters with the switch he held in his hand rum places racing stables he went on meditatively and a lot of rum things go on in em one way and another as you'll come to know and it ain't the easiest thing going i'll tell you to keep your hands clean ungrateful business a trainer's sir richard wearing business shortens a man's temper and makes him old before his time out by four o'clock on summer mornings minding your cattle and keeping your eye on those shirking blackguards of boys no real rest sir day or night wearing business studying all the meetings and entering your horses when you've reason to reckon they've the most chance and if your horse wins the jockey gets all the praise and the petting and if it fails the trainer gets all the blame yes it's wearing work but confound it all sir he broke out hotly there's nothing like it on the face of god's earth horses 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 why the very smell of the bedding's sweeter than a bunch of roses love em i believe you and you'll love em too before you've done he turned and gripped dicky hard by the shoulder for we'll make a thorough-paced sportsman of you yet sir richard he said god bless you danged if we don't which assertion mr chiffney repeated at frequent intervals over his grog that evening as he sat not in the smart dining-room hung round with portraits of vine-dresser and sahara and other equine notabilities but in the snug little back parlour looking out on to the yard mrs chiffney was a gentle pious woman with whom her husband's profession went somewhat against the grain she would have preferred a nice grocery or other respectable uneventful business in a country town anticipation in the form of prayer rather than of race meetings but as a slender slightly self-righteous young maiden she had fallen very honestly and completely in love with tom chiffney so there was nothing for it but to marry him and regard the horses as her appointed cross she nursed the boys when they were sick or injured intervened fairly successfully between their poor little backs and her husband's all-too-ready ash stick and assisted julius march in promoting their spiritual welfare even while deploring that the latter put his faith in forms and ceremonies rather than in saving grace upon the trainer himself she exercised a gently repressive influence we won't swear mr chiffney she remarked mildly now swear it's enough to make the whole bench of bishops swear to see that lad i did see him mrs chiffney observed yes out of window but you didn't carry him round and hear him talk knowledgeable talk as you could ask from one of his age and watch his face as like as two peas to his father's but her ladyship's eyes put in mrs chiffney i don't know whose eyes they are but i know we can use em it was as pretty as a picture to see how he took it all 
Chiffney tossed off the remainder of his tumbler of brandy and water at a gulp. Swear, he repeated, I could find it in my heart to swear like hell. But I can find it in my heart to do more than that. I can forgive her ladyship by all that's... Thomas, forgiveness and oaths don't go suitably together. Well, but I can, though, and I tell you I do, he said solemnly. I forgive her. Shoot a clown. By gee. I beg your pardon, Maria, but upon my soul once or twice, when I had him in my arms today, I felt I could have understood if she'd have every horse shot that stood in the stable. He held the tumbler up against the lamp, but it was quite empty. Uncommon glad she didn't, though, poor lady, all the same, he added parenthetically as he set it down on the table again. What do you say, Maria, about time we toddled off to bed? End of chapter 4 of Book 2